Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Keezy, and welcome to this edition of the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Party Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. Well, the sound of the bugle can only mean one thing. It's Saratoga horse racing season. The six-week season begins today. It will be a most unusual meet as there won't be any fans in attendance. Jockeys will, in effect, be locked in the Saratoga, and the Trevor Stakes will be earlier than usual. Later on, I'll speak with the new Gazette horse racing handicapper, Matt Donato. But first... Let's welcome the main man who will be covering the track for the Gazette again this season. It's Mike McGadden. Mike, uh, welcome to the podcast, and uh, how are things going? And how many years now is this for you up at Saratoga? Well, my first year at Saratoga was 1987 when I was working. I worked briefly briefly for the Troy Record, and in typical fashion back in the day, everyone would send a battalion of writers from their sports department to cover the Travers. So I was up here like once or twice before the Travers, but then we had like four or five people covering the, the race for the Troy record, and I was one of them. Um, I remember it was a rainy, muddy day. Java Gold won. Um, I had $5 to win on him because he had what was called a mud mark, which is like a big asterisk in the racing form that indicated that the horse uh, would, would enjoy the mud. Um, he won. I, I, I earned $20 for my uh, $5 wager. I said, easy game. And it's been all downhill since then. <laughs> but um, 1987, that was my first experience at Saratoga, my first Travers, and I've been doing it for the Gazette for the last, well, however many years that is, um, since 88, so, um, yeah, never gets dull around here. <laughs> yeah, well, we have a lot to talk about uh, as we get set for the uh, the first race, uh, post-time one, uh, today will be a 110, uh, so let's talk about the big issue, no fans, uh, and Naira's installed uh, fence screens that discourage fans from standing out on the sidewalks around the track. What is the effect of uh, no fans going to be like? Um, I mean, it's going to be very strange. I, we, I, I personally had a little bit of experience with this already at the Belmont Stakes when I went down to cover um, Tis the Law's victory down there um, on June 20th. Of course, they didn't have fans there either. And, you know, they're two different venues. Belmont, Belmont Park is gigantic. It's a mile-and-a-half track, and so it seems very, very strange and surreal and Twilight Zone to not see any fans, especially for their biggest race on the whole calendar. Um I just found some people that when Tis the Law came across the finish line, what popped in my head was, okay, I got my headline, horse wins race, because it was utterly devoid of atmosphere or context or anything, but meanwhile, this horse just won the Belmont. The difference at Saratoga is, yeah, there's going to be no fans here, but there's supposed to be a gazillion fans here every day for 40 days, and it's going to seem strange on opening day, but it's going to seem strange on closing day, too, after 40 days of this, um, where it's such a huge component of the Saratoga race course identity and experience for fans to be here. I mean, people love this place, and, and you know, you're already seeing, you know, you, you mentioned the um, that kind of temporary privacy screening that they put up along the fences to discourage people from, you know, milling around and creating traffic problems on Nelson and Union Avenues, and, you know, I understand why they did that, but, you know, a couple, <laughs> I saw a tweet this morning 
morning where somebody was selling uh, two step um, step ladders for five dollars and three step step ladders for ten dollars out on the street <laughs> there. So the people are going to get creative, and um, but for the most part, they've been encouraged to watch the races off track um, on their phones, on TV, on their computers. There's you know the Saratoga Live TV show that you can watch that shows the full car races. Um, you know, a lot of people bet on their phones, including me right now anyway, because it's convenient and, you know, the HD that they provide is terrific. Um, so it's going to be strange for everybody and from the perspective of, um, you know, a writer who's been coming up here for over 30 years. I mean, it's one of the, you, you kind of lose that element of your storytelling. A lot of the, you know, the, the, the fan response is, is uh, so there's a lot of detail there that you can include in your story. We're just not going to have that anymore. So you're going to have to like still capture the scene, but the scene might be kind of get repetitive after a couple <laughs> days of no fan response, and you, you can't incorporate that into your storytelling. So it's going to be strange and surreal. We got a little taste at the Belmont. Um, I feel bad for the fans, but I understand why. You know, New York State is is reluctant to open up these large public gatherings because we're seeing. You know, fluctuations across the country in states where they open things up early and you just don't want, you know, New York already went through its nightmare. We don't want to do that again. So really buckled down. Um, you know, as far as getting on the track, uh, we had to have a COVID negative test um, that we had to supply to um, track officials to get, a, you know, um, credential to be on the grounds, which we did. Um you know, it's very quiet on the back stretch. I was out there at 5.30 this morning, uh, Wednesday morning, um, getting preview stuff. And even at all times of the day, you're used to seeing owners wandering around, visiting their horses, feeding them peppermint and stuff. So that's all gone. Um, it's just a couple lonely souls of media kind of wandering around and, and the barn workers going about their business. And, you know, it's very quiet. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess the financial impact for Saratoga Springs, the city itself, is going to be tremendous, and it's really going to take a hit. Yeah, and Saratoga was bound to take a big hit no matter what, just because, um, like, even if the meat stayed downstate, which there was some speculation, they might not even bother coming up here. Um, you know, it's very reliant upon the tourism that comes here, even off-season. Um, you know, it's a great town to be in, even if there isn't any racing going on. And so, yeah, it's going to be a hit. Um, but Naira chose to come up here because they feel like the, the Saratoga brand is so strong that that's going to translate to a um, you know, substantial jump in betting handle as opposed to if they stayed at Belmont. And there's other factors, too, like the, the turf course. The Saratoga meet is, is heavily reliant on turf racing, and the, the turf course at Belmont just wouldn't have been able to handle you know the condition book of all those races being written. Um, you know, the president and CEO, Dave O'Rourke, told, told me a couple of days ago that they would have had to shift some racing over to Aqueduct just to accommodate all the turf um, courses that they're trying to write races for. So there, there's a lot of things going on there. I know there, a lot of people are complaining about why, did they, why didn't they just stay at Belmont. Um, and I understand that angle, too. But for the most part, it seems, you know, reasonable for, for Naira to, to have moved. You know, they're also operating under the belief that, that there was a chance that they might open up to a limited number of fans, which a couple tracks have done around the country. And I don't, that doesn't look like that's going to happen, and I don't know if that would even be good news for Naira if 
allowed on the back stretch during training hours and on at the track on days that they have a horse running on the card. So that was kind of a nice breakthrough for a lot of frazzled owners who put a lot of money into this game and a lot of money into keeping their horses um, you know, fit and healthy and fed and everything and not to be able to see that investment firsthand and just show up and, you know, give them a peppermint in the morning and then watch them race in the afternoon. I mean, poor Jack Knowlton, he's the operations manager manager for Saratoga Stable. He had to watch Tis the Law win the Florida Derby in March from his condo a mile away from the track because Gulfstream couldn't let anybody on the ground. So I'm sure... Um, He's going to be very happy for the news that that came on Wednesday, and as as are all the owners that have been just kind of wondering, am I even going to be able to go see my horse? Yeah. <laughs> um, now now they'll be able to, I, and I'm not sure. Um, you know, a lot of the details were, you know, they they have to follow all, all the safety procedures and everything, and and you know they have to do a lot of the same things that you know we in the media and everybody on the ground had to do, like. Um, so, I mean, there will be some adjustments for them and some things they'll have to do and some restrictions that they'll have to follow, but I'm sure they'll, they're they pleased uh, that they're at least in a position to, to have to do that so that they can at least get in get in here. Because that's sports writer Mike McGadam joining us on the Party Shots podcast as we preview the Saratoga meet. We mentioned the fans not allowed in. The jockeys, however, are not allowed out of Saratoga. Talk about that. You know nope. the story you wrote in uh, Wednesday's paper. Yeah, and, and and it's a again a reasonable and a logical move. Um, and some other tracks kind of followed suit in similar fashion. Naira was the first one to do it, and a bunch of other ones, including Maryland. And it has like a fourteen day quarantine thing in in place now. Um, the Saratoga Jockey Colony it consists of the twenty two guys in the condition book and the three apprentices. If they leave the grounds, they can't come back for the whole duration of the meet, which goes through Labor Day, September 7th. Meanwhile, nobody from out of town is allowed in. So once you're in, you got to stay in. And if you leave, you can't come back. And again, this, is, this was something they had been talking about, but then the uh, previous Friday and then Tuesday morning when Florent Giroux uh, announced that he was COVID positive, but then... The previous Friday, we had Martin Garcia, Victor Espinoza, and Luis Saez, who's actually based in New York, all tested positive for COVID. So you can tell these are all big, high-profile guys that travel, do a lot of traveling around the country and, in fact, had been, you know, all over the map, you know, the previous couple of weeks, and suddenly they're testing positive. So that was a signal to, um, to Naira and some of these other tracks that we got to clamp down on these guys moving around and, you know, it's typical for a big name jockey like that. Like for instance, Mike Smith. He's he normally would have been riding Midnight Pursuit in the Personal Ensign in a couple of weeks, flying out from California. Well, that's not happening now because he's not allowed in. You know, unless he shows up. <laughs> you know, he's just not allowed to do that. So we're, they're gonna, you know, the taxes for that horse are gonna have to find an alternate rider. And there's plenty of good ones around here to to pick from. Um, so it really changes the landscape of of the. Um, the jockey colony. I, I talked to Todd Pletcher on Wednesday morning about this, and between this and th- this lockdown and all the other juggling they've done since March, when 
you know, Javier Castellano got sick. Some guy said, well, I'm, I'm not traveling because, you know, like I read Ortiz took a couple of weeks off on his own just because he didn't want to travel and he didn't want to be around the track. All these things. He said, I've done more jockey changes since March than I've done in the previous 23 years that I've been a head trainer. So, um, and so his latest development is kind of just adds to that. But it shows you that, you know, all this traveling around and stuff, it translates to, um, you know, spikes and people getting sick. And, and if you want to run a meet, you have to clamp down and take measures like this to, to just buckle down. And, you know, the, somebody mentioned this is just like basically, you know, the NBA bubble. You know, the jockeys are in a Saratoga bubble now. Yeah. Well, you had a Q&A uh, the other day with Naira President and CEO David O'Rourke. You mentioned him a little bit earlier in the podcast. Uh, what did you right. take away from the interview? Um, I mean, they're doing everything they can. They're trying to do everything right. They're, you know, certainly, they, I don't know, they won't use the word discouraged publicly, but, you know, I think that New York State really dragged their heels on the owner thing, you know, as far as letting the owners in. I mean, they put in a proposal weeks ago, and I guess it's New York State. If, you know, why take a week to do something when you can take three weeks? Um, so... I'm, you know, I'm sure they're happy that they can at least have that breakthrough for something they were asking for. Um, you know, when they when they kind of committed to coming to Saratoga, you know, I asked him, it was part of that just gambling that something might happen in the interim, and he, he was like, yeah, we kind of took that into consideration, and they formulated a lot of plans about how they could, you know, map out the picnic area and figure out social distancing and, you know, how they could accommodate, like, X number of fans in here, whatever number that was. So they, they were they're prepared to, like, to do this. They just haven't gotten the approval from the state to do it. But so they're essentially chalking this year up as a lost year and let's come back, you know, and gangbusters next year. Um, it, you know, the circumstances, everybody, yeah, you it's easy to get discouraged, but you have to understand the, you know, the context and the landscape out there. These, you know, this is what happens, and this is what you have to deal with. Is you kind of just make do, roll with the punches, and, and make the best of the situation, however you can. Yeah. Well, we know because of the pandemic, the Triple Crown schedule was uh, thrown in the flux. Uh, the Belmont Stakes was run last month and was won by Tiz Law. We'll talk about Tiz Law just in a little bit. Uh, the Kentucky Derby is going to be on September 5th. Preakness on October 3rd. You know, with the Derby on September 5th, that's going to mean the Traverse Stakes normally run late in the meet at Saratoga will now take place August 8th. What will it be like to have the Traverse run that early? Um, I mean, it'll seem strange because everything is strange now. Um, but it was, you know, they, they really had no other choice. I mean, if they tried to bang up the, the, the Traverse, you know, it would have been like a week before the Derby. Nobody would have run in it or at least, you know, nobody of consequence would have been running in it. Um, it you know, I, I go back to the no fan thing. It's going to be more weird to see the Traverse run uh, with nobody in attendance. Um, it'll be weirder for that aspect than it will for the actual date of the Travers. Um, yeah, that'll be weird too. I mean, it'll be weird squared. And uh, But, uh, you know, typically Travers Day, you walk in and, you, you know, you walk out the back of the clubhouse to the paddock and there's a mass of people and they're 
going in a different direction. And it's like, you know, going, you know, whitewater rafting just to get from the clubhouse to the paddock because the place is just jammed and people are all fired up. And and uh, so you, you're going to lose that on Travers Day. You know, a lot of people think it's a hassle and, and would prefer not to even be here when it's a crowd. But, you know, the crowd illustrates that a lot of people do want to be here. And so, you know, the, the early part, it worked out good for Tiz the Law because then his owners, who desperately crave to win the Travers, you know, a lot of them are from here. Um, you know, the spacing now is really good for him. It's four weeks from, between the Travers and the Kentucky Derby, so he can do everything. Um, I asked uh, trainer Barkley Tag Wednesday morning if he, you know, I'm sure it would have been hard to convince the Sacatoga people to skip the Travers and probably impossible. And I said, but had you considered you know, just training up to the Kentucky Derby and skipping the Travers. Um, he said, no, we want to win that one too. And, you know, we examined all the various scenarios and everything, but this is a, it's a big race for him too to, that he's never won um, and didn't get a chance to win with Funnyside in 2003 because the horse got sick. Um, so spacing-wise, it worked out for, great for Tiz the Law. He'll get to run a mile and a quarter, which the, you know, Barkley firmly believes it will be fine, you know, and, and that's the same distance as the Kentucky Derby, so, uh, you know, get them a chance to stretch out from a mile and eight to a mile and a quarter, which they feel the horse will, you know, be very comfortable with, so for those guys, they're fine with it, believe yeah. me. <laughs> it seems almost like it's a prep race now for the Kentucky Derby. Well, yeah, it kind of is, and it literally is, because it's got um, derby points, he's got a pile of derby points attached, qualifying points attached to it, you get 150 if you win, and it's basically a win and you're in for the Derby, and probably the second place horse is going to be in the Derby field as well with, I don't know, what, like 70 points for second or something. Um, so, yeah, it really is a prep race in a lot of ways. It's, you know, you get, it's a, you're, you're testing your horse at a mile and a quarter, the same distance as the Derby. It's got Derby points attached to it. Um, the spacing wise, it's, it's similar to like a lot of the big races, like the Santa Anita Derby and, and, that are spaced traditionally, you know, that way for for when the Kentucky Derby normally is run on, you know, for Saturday in May. So, yeah, I mean, you, there's, it has a lot of the characteristics of a derby prep, and that's okay, too. But, um, you know, for the Sacatoga guys, they want they really, really want to win the Travers, whether, you you know, you run it on January 1st in, like, a blizzard and <laughs> at two miles, or they, they don't care. They just want to win. They want to be on that list of uh, winners. Some breaking news on Wednesday, Mike, that the fact that trainer Bob Baffert has been suspended 15 days for some of his horses testing positive. I mean, what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I mean, it's a it's a blow to him because um, these are two really, really good horses. I mean, Charlatan, they're both undefeated, first of all. Charlatan won a division of the Arkansas Derby. This just goes back to its ironically goes back to May 2nd, which is when the Kentucky Derby originally was scheduled. Well, because the schedule got blown up, but then it got restarted, they scheduled the Arkansas Derby for May 2nd. And so many horses wanted to run in it that they had to split it into two divisions. And, and two Baffert horses, Charlatan and Nadal, you know, won the, the two divisions. The Charlatan is now undefeated, well, until he got disqualified on Wednesday. And a lot of people were looking at him as, you know, a, a, certainly a, a winner of some of the legs of the Triple Crown, if not all of them. Of course, then in the meantime, he got hurt. He's on the shelf, and he's probably going to 
not only miss the Derby, but he's going to miss the Preakness. But then on top of that, um, they tested positive. He came out of that the Arkansas Derby testing positive for an overage of a, of a banned substance. Um, and then they called for a second sample to um, verify it or, or, you know, dispel it. And a second test apparently came back positive. Uh, well, it did come back positive, and then they decided today to disqualify that horse, as well as the Philly Gamine, who also won the Acorn on Belmont Stakes Day. So I saw her run on June 20th, and she she won by open length and, and so convincingly that some people were speculating maybe he'll throw, try to get her to the Kentucky Derby or one of the... Um, you know, one of the run against the males at some point, and now she's DQ'd. Um, he got, uh, Baffert got suspended for 15 days. Um, you know, right after the second test came back positive, his lawyer came out with a statement where they, you know, they were saying it was like some kind of environmental contamination of a trace amount of something that, like, one of the workers had, a, had something on it, like a, a medical patch that got into the feed or something like that. They, that's what they were speculating or claiming. And uh, um, so I must have fallen on deaf ears based on the suspension. And uh, so um, I'm not 100% sure what the suspension means for Baffert. Like what, you know, if he'll appeal or if, they, if he even can appeal and that'll postpone it or if he'll just serve it. And that, so I'm not sure about like how that's going to work. But it's certainly a black eye for... <laughs> the sport again and um and it, it disqualifies too and what, what that does for charlatan is it wipes out his derby qualifying points that he got out of the arkansas derby not that you know with this injury and everything that he was going to be able to run in it anyway but um apparently he's going to probably miss the preakness too um but it's just like you know at the beginning of the year baffert looked loaded for bear and then a couple things happened and horses got hurt and then um <laughs> but then he has a couple come off the bench that are looking really good and then yeah it's like he keeps bringing the lumber and the people keep chopping it down for you know whatever reason and uh so now he's got a horse named uncle chuck who just won i think an allowance race who he's going to be pointing to the Travers. so we'll probably still see baffert running against his with something this year um uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it, you're getting ready for the meet to start, and all these things are, like, dropping all around you. It's just like, man, uh, you're running out of thumbs to plug the, the uh, dam here. Yeah. But, um, that's, you know, it's better than the alternative, which is the sport not running right now, and like a lot of sports haven't for a long time and, and not having anything to pay attention to. Let's wrap this up uh, talking about uh, Bill Heller, the Daily Gazette handicapper who has retired now. Sure. and. uh uh, just talk about what he's meant to uh, handicapping here in the Capital Region. Uh, he's, you know, his credentials speak for themselves. He's an Eclipse Award-winning writer um, and a very prolific author of books. Um, and a couple that he's particularly proud of are biographies he wrote of Hall of Fame jockey Randy Romero, as well as Ron Turcott, who wrote Secretariat to the Triple Crown. And the, the Secretariat connection speaks to Bill's um, background as a handicapper. His first trip to Saratoga race course, literally, was when he was a student at Albany State, and a bunch of his buddies jumped in the car and they drove up here, hey, there's a, there's a racetrack. He was telling me the other day, and, and they stumbled upon Saratoga Raceway, which is the harness track, and there's nobody there because they 
not racing that day. And, and they asked around, and they couldn't believe that one town could possibly have two racetracks. And they were directed, uh, you know, up the road to uh, Saratoga Racecourse. And sure enough, there was live racing going on that day. So they were like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a ticket and walk in and see what it's about. And, and he happened, speaking of stumbling upon, he happened to be there his first thoroughbred track experience. Our secretary won the hopeful in impressive fashion. Of course, he won the the uh, Triple Crown the following year, 1973. But Bill was there, you know, from the on the ground floor with Secretary. It was the first time he's ever been at the track. So needless to say that he had a deeply rooted passion for the sport from the get-go and turned into a phenomenal handicapper, very well-respected and, and uh, accomplished handicapper uh, the last 25 years for the Gazette and a dear friend of mine in the press box all the time. Um, until a couple years ago when he moved to Florida and... You know, it's kind of a sign of the times of the press box up here. Forget about the COVID, which we were up here this week just trying to figure out how to space the chairs up here. But, you know, the, the because of the trends in journalism and horse racing, there have been fewer and fewer people covering the race on a regu- the races on a regular basis. And the, the Saratoga press box population has diminished greatly. And, you know, Bill wasn't up here for the last couple of years because he was in Florida. But I can remember back in the day when this place was jamming and, and he was one of our guys and, and uh, certainly a familiar, very well-respected person in, in the handicapping circles and the writing circles and in the Saratoga press box. Um, so cheers to him on retiring. I had a great conversation and he told me a bunch of stories. I wish I could have included them all in the Q&A, but it would have gotten unwieldy. It probably would have taken up a full page. And, uh, I'll just... I'll savor the opportunity to have the, have heard them myself, even if I couldn't communicate with everybody else for space purposes. It happens sometimes. Yeah. We have our limits. Yes, yes we do. Uh, you can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike underscore McAdam. Mike will be uh, joining the podcast every week throughout the Saratoga meet to uh, give us updates on what's going on and preview uh, the big stake races, especially on the weekend. Mike, appreciate you coming on for a little bit here, and uh, we'll look for your work at in the paper and on uh, DailyGazette.com. Thanks for having me, Ken. I'll talk to you next week. All right, thanks, Mike. Up next, I'll talk to the yep. New Gazette's uh, horse racing handicapper, Matt Donato. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Saratoga Horse Racing fans, want a chance to win a $50 gift certificate? Then play the Daily Gazette Saratoga Pick 7. Pick your horses to score the most points in the first seven races at Saratoga Racetrack. The winner receives a $50 gift certificate to either an area eating establishment, hardware store, golf course, bookstore, or wine and liquor store. To see the list of establishments participating, pick up a copy of the Daily Gazette. To play, Go to pick7.dailygazette.com and make your picks 15 minutes before post time the day of the race. The Saratoga Pick 7 contest is run by the Daily Gazette Advertising Department and not affiliated with the Daily Gazette Sports Department.
Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports editor Michael Kelly. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. After 27 years of handicapping horse racing for the Gazette, Bill Heller has retired, and we wish him the best in retirement. The Gazette has a new handicapper. He worked on the sports desk at the Saratogian and helped out with that paper's coverage of the Saratoga meet. He will give a unique perspective to his picks during the Saratoga meet starting Thursday. Please welcome Matt Donato to the show. Matt, uh, welcome, and how are you doing? I'm wonderful. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I appreciate it. I understand you worked with the sports editor Mike Kelly up at the Saratogian. That's right. I've known him for about 10 years now. He's a great friend, wonderful guy. Yeah, he's a good man. So uh, let's talk about your... Um, what, what's, what, how did you get interested in horse racing? I actually uh, started dating a girl who lived in Boston Spa back around 2005, went up to visit during the summers, and just fell in love with the track. Ended up marrying the girl, so I fell in love with both, you could say. <laughs> That's good. I mean, you're, not, you're not originally from this area. Where are you from? Uh, originally from central Connecticut, uh, just outside Hartford, a little town called Plainville. Okay. I mean, I saw the last name Donato. My first thing was, was he related to Ted Donato, the Harvard hockey coach and the former NHLer? So I'm thinking, maybe... Uh, we... Nope. <laughs> we met once, uh, went to an old Hartford Whalers game, uh, held up a sign uh, saying that my last name was Donato. I was there with my dad. We ended up meeting him outside of the bus after the game. So what uh, can Gazette readers expect uh, with your handicapping for, uh, in the paper this year? Uh, they can expect a nice uh, predictive model that I've written uh, that takes into account all of the uh, past couple of meets uh, and all the different uh, angles that uh, can be looked at for different types of races. Everything's separated between uh, the surface, the distance, uh, the, the purse, and the class of the race. Uh, we look for patterns for what has happened in the past and use that to predict the future. Is, this, is it, in a way, analytics? I mean, is this, can you call it analytics? I would call it analytics. Um, it's it's uh, a model that's been used to help kind of rank the horses, uh, assigns them uh, value based on what they've done in the past, their speed figures, their pace rating, their trainers, the jockeys, everything you can think of that can go into it uh, gets plugged into a, uh, a bit of software. And initially, that's just going to paint a nice, clear picture, something that I can filter out the obvious uh, uh, horses that can be ignored. And you can take a look at uh, the contenders and really uh, uh, just magnify in from there. Is, how, how, the crunch these numbers, I mean, the, the, how crazy does it get when you crunch all these numbers? So it, it comes down to uh, just the, the different uh, value kind of assigned to each of the different uh, areas. So uh, I would say uh, in more maiden races or, or horses with less experience, you're going to focus a little bit more on their pedigree. You're going to focus a little bit more on the trainer and the jockey just because there's not a lot of other data to go on. And then as uh, the horses progress, they have more uh, data behind them. You can really look at their past performances, uh, see what uh, horses they've faced in the past, and uh, really you know, triangulate it from there. Is this a new approach as maybe as, the, as, the, as opposed to the traditional uh, way of picking uh, horses? Say that one more time. Uh, I'm just saying, is this, a, a, this model, is this something we're going to see more and more of as opposed to the old way? I think it's. I think you need both. I think the uh, statistical model is one good way to look at it, but I don't think that it's going to be... I don't think that you can create something that's going to be accurate every single time. I think you have to take a look at that and use that 
that as your starting point to then uh, start traditional handicapping. Uh, almost in, in the way that um, uh, baseball moved to a more statistical model, but you still need everybody to pass the eye test, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has, you know, handicapping this year, obviously, with the, uh, the coronavirus, and you know, has, has it been different to try to handicap these horses this year? You know, I haven't taken anything into account. Like, I, I remember from the Kentucky Derby where um, uh, the spacing on the name, but the favor was coming in and kind of veered wide. Uh, some people were saying that it caught a glimpse of the big crowd, and, and that could have spooked it. And I guess we're just not going to have that um, that issue for some of the horses. It's going to be more of a training atmosphere. I, I imagine it's going to be a little bit uh, a little bit more comfortable for the horses. So I think that's going to be pretty good for them. How much fun do you uh, have with doing this? I really, really enjoy the uh, the process of putting the model together and uh, just the predictive nature of it. I, I, I find that even more entertaining than, than uh, the betting, the wagering, any of that part of it. I just like predicting the future, and I think that's really the most fun. Have you, you know, financially, I mean, has it helped you at all? I mean, have you won more than you lost or lost more than you won? I would say over time, a little bit better than even. I, I, I don't really tend to do it. It's really just the big races. Uh, I, I, outside of the, you know, the Travers, uh, Triple Crown, maybe take a Breeders' Cup day and just you know enjoy the whole thing. But it's not really about that. It's really about plugging in the data and just uh, uh, you know letting people know, hey, I, 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 I can predict the future to a certain extent. Well, Matt, we're looking forward to seeing your picks in the paper starting on Thursday. And uh, good luck with it. And uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Ken. That's Matt Donato. Back to wrap up the podcast in just a moment. I'm Dr. Howard Zucker, New York State's Health Commissioner. I'm calling on all New Yorkers to do their part to slow the spread of coronavirus. Everyone, even young people and those who feel well, stay home. If you must go outside, stay six feet from others. This will ensure everyone who needs hospital care can get it. This virus spreads even without symptoms. Stay home and stay safe. Be a part now so we can all be together later. Stay informed at health.ny.gov coronavirus. Hi, this is Mark Kestisher, the voice of the NBA on ESPN Radio and proud member of the 518 from Gilderland High School. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Now, here's Ken. Back to wrap up the podcast. 
Keep checking out DailyGazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. Now that the state is starting to reopen, that does not mean you should relax. Keep wearing the face mask while you're out. Be considerate. Be safe. I'll preview the 2020 short to Major League Baseball season on a special podcast Tuesday. My scheduled guests will include New York Daily News Yankees beat writer Christy Ackert, Newsday Mets beat writer Tim Healy, and MLB Network's John Paul Morosi. If you have any baseball questions, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. That wraps up another edition of the Party Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Mike McAdam and Matt Donato for coming on the show. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and SoundCloud. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Slapshots. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers, I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Party Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports, be smart, and stay safe.